Hello, everyone. This is Procedural Conversation, a game ministry talk show. I'm your host, Chris Compendio, and today I'm here with Rosemary Kelly, a.k.a. Necra. Necra, how are you today? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me on this podcast. I'm so excited to talk to you. Yeah, me as well. Um, so you are an esports caster and host, so mm-hmm. I was wondering if I can uh, give the floor and tell us your journey to how you got into gaming and then how you got into this very official capacity in the esports world. Yeah, so I've always been a gamer. Video games have always been a part of my passion and a part of my life, um, but I had to take a pretty long break from them when I ended up going to college. You know, originally I had this idea that I was going to go into academia with a focus on ecology and evolutionary biology and specifically how chemicals interact with different aspects of our environment. That was what I wanted to study. And that's what I had planned on doing after my bachelor's and going into a PhD. But and this is where it gets a little sad, but the reason why I share this is because I want people to know that things get better. Um, I lost both of my parents while I was finishing up college and figuring out my next steps. So when that happened, it really shifted my mentality to focusing more on what made me happy. And that's when I realized that I could always come back to academia, but video games weren't necessarily always going to be there for me in the capacity that I was looking to be a part of them. So I you know, recognized that video games had been a constant driving force for my happiness and mental health. So I decided to pursue a career in esports. I started as a competitor. So in 2014, I kind of went back to my competitive roots in gaming for Pokemon VGC. And I played that from 2014 to 2016. And then I shifted over to competing in Hearthstone and Overwatch. And then I finally found myself shifting over to commentary. And I really loved it. And I haven't looked back ever since. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, was Was Pokemon kind of always the thing, like ever since, you know, earlier in life? Um, kind of. I feel like Pokemon has always been a huge part of my life just because you have the anime. That was something that I grew up watching. One of my (laughs) very first games was Red and Blue. Um, and then, you know, I played through every single title that came out after that. It was just a, a constant force in my life. And when I started doing commentary again, I had been reaching out to some of my local Pokemon facilities like Rutgers, um, Liberty Garden does a lot of events and just asking if they needed an extra hand in commentary. And then from there, I just kind of started working my way up to casting some regionals and then Pokemon found me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I I think it was really important to, to share the, how gaming kind of intertwined with the rest of your life Mm -hmm. and especially in an emotional capacity. I think that's something that that is something that is very much in the experience of a lot of people who play games, maybe not necessarily something we talk about openly all the time. Mm-hmm. So again, thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah, of course. Um, and I guess a, a more practical question, how did you kind of fall into commentary and casting? I mean, was there was there any anything that was applicable to that before you officially got into that? Was there any sort of any sort of training that you did was it something that it just it just came naturally to you as as a person um i think that's a question that i get asked actually pretty frequently so i'm happy to talk about it i've actually never done any formal vocal training and i think that's something that people kind of look at the job and they expect oh you know you have to get you know 
improv training or acting training or you know, be a good singer or something like that. And I'm like, that's actually not a part of it at all. I think a lot of it does come from just my natural desire to talk about the games the way that I want to. Um, but the other thing too is I feel like there have been moments in my life that have really trained me to be a broadcaster. Uh, through going throughout academia, you have to do a lot of poster presentations and paper presentations and group presentations um, and, and a lot of presentations. And I think that the stage fright that I felt from, from doing those and from realizing kind of the stakes that were on the line really prepared me for being in front of larger audiences. Mm -hmm. For me personally, it was high school theater that oh. got me over that stage fright and, uh, I just, just very distinctly remember this one moment where my my teacher he, he kept trying to get me to project, uh, you know, basically not not necessarily yelling but filling in the performing space with your voice, mm -hmm. and he just kind of it, it was like the movie Whiplash where he just kept you he make, made you go like over and over again like until <laughs> until you, you like reach that level. So, and then ever since then, I I don't think I've really had that um, sort of anxiety. So. Uh, yeah, I, I think I'm just mainly interested in the topic of of broadcasting. Mm -hmm. I think it is something that has evolved through the years, and I it, I am someone who was very much into learning the history of television and radio broadcasting, and how mm -hmm. that kind of changed. You know, going from like the television networks to now everything's on YouTube and on digital platforms and broadcasting is a very different thing. Like technically I am broadcasting right now. I'm speaking yeah. from a microphone to an audience talking to you. So with that, the main topic of today's conversation would be uh, basically broadcasting and personalities in general. So I met you at the, what was it called? The FTW for the women Mm -hmm. Um, that was a, a summit in Philadelphia and that was, uh, that feels like forever ago back when we were able to, <laughs> it really does. but it was, it was a very different time. And I feel like we were kind of in the eye of the storm before everything went down. And that was something that not, it wasn't necessarily new to me. I had always known that esports was becoming mainstream in a sense and, Mm -hmm. Big companies like Comcast had an inve had investments in teams like the Philadelphia Fusion and whatnot, but a lot of concepts were just kind of alien to me, just like how a lot of things worked. And you know, there are all these wonderful panelists there um, at for the women, and a lot of them kind of pulled in knowledge uh, to from traditional sports to contrast to to compare and contrast with how esports works. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to ask about that, but from your perspective as a caster. So the first thing I kind of wanted to talk about was basically the fundamental differences between uh, what we call casting and mm -hmm. traditional sports commentary, if any. And uh, I, I'm kind of looking at this as an opportunity to kind of define, to, you know, we're going to use casting and shout casting as a yeah. piece of our vocabulary a lot during this conversation. and. I'm curious on your on your thoughts personally on the term shoutcasting and what it means and you know probably difficult to answer but the the origins or like where it, where it came from the term shoutcasting yeah I <laughs> or, don't know about theories. the origins <laughs> mm -hmm. 
I don't know about the origins of the, uh, the actual term of shoutcasting, but when we talk about shoutcasting as a job or as something that someone is doing, we basically mean talking loudly about something that they're passionate about, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like a lot of what shoutcasting is, is kind of in the sense of the word. But when you talk about like caster versus commentator, um, we like to use the term commentator a lot more just because commentator implies that you are talking about something very specific, like a game. And I think that fits a little bit better. So I would say I'm more of a commentator than a, a caster. I think caster is short for shout caster, um, but shout casting can be a lot of different things. So for for basically when we talk about and so here's like the the other part of your question which is fundamental differences between casting and traditional sports commentary I actually think they're quite different. So the the fundamentals are are the same in terms of you are trying to talk about something that you are very passionate about and trying to put into words that passion to entertain an audience. Um, so when you talk about commentary for basketball or football or baseball, it's all relatively the same. You talk about who's on first, what's on second, you know, and who's hitting the home run and, you know, all of those kinds of things about baseball, for example. Um, but when it gets complicated and where I feel like the true delineation lies in terms of traditional sports commentary and esports commentary is that esports is constantly changing. And I think that's something that people don't look at a lot, like especially for Pokemon. When you take a look at the different metas that we have year to year, because we have new titles that come out and there are different mechanics that are involved in that, it gets complicated. It gets it gets very tricky. Um, so you have to constantly be on your toes. And there are games that change how you talk about the game and basically the meta per se. And and when we talk about meta. Um, just to define that term for those of you that are listening that might not be as in tuned to e- uh, esports commentary, meta just kind of means what is the more most dominant force in the game. Um, like it might be a team composition or it might be a specific hero or champion, um, but that's kind of what we talk about when we talk about meta. Yeah, or, or tier lists or whatnot. Exactly. Um, right. I, I mean, yeah. It, um, thanks for bringing up you know the the constantly changing titles and even within one single title there might be patches there might be you know exactly. Overwatch, new heroes uh there is no football two or or, <laughs> or soccer two i mean i think at the best maybe the way you um officiate one of those traditional sports might change or say like you know there's like new replay technology that allows the the referees and the officiators to kind of figure out how a play went but other than that the the core rules unless we're talking about like i don't know the xfl or something like that um are are fundamentally the same Mm -hmm. um i'm i would be very curious if there's anyone listening uh who would provide a contrasting opinion to what you just said about the the major differences uh i couldn't i couldn't tell you at all because i don't really um follow traditional sport. I mean, I don't really follow any sports, period. Um I that don't closely either, enough. <laughs> so well, <laughs> I don't true. think I'm good to give the uh, opposing opinion either. Um mm-hmm. but yeah that's that's kind of my take on it though. 
totally. So I, I feel like commentator has a more has a more authoritative sense to it. The 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 term commentator as like you're 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 kind of utilizing an expertise yes. of the game. Um, and would you ever consider yourself a presenter in some context? Because in a, in a different context, when I think of when I think of like the word presenter, I think of I don't know someone who introduces an event, like holding a microphone on stage or something like that. Maybe mm-hmm. someone who interviews people. Um, is that ever something that you would ever do at events? Yeah. So I we actually call that term hosting. Um, okay. So yeah, it, it I would say that that's something that I've actually done quite a bit of. Where mm-hmm. I'll be like the sideline reporter, which is doing the interviews for players or team managers on the side, um, or just stage hosting, which is kind of being the face to the audience of a specific production. And when you're hosting, your entire job is to present different portions of the broadcast, um, whether it be, you know, just kicking things off and introducing what's going on, um, introducing the next match or throwing it over to the sideline reporter so that they can do their interview and then going back to you and saying, we're going to take a short break and we'll see you when we get back, you know, um, it's, it's things like that. That's stage hosting. And then side drive importing would be, and, and I, some, some productions will have you be a host as well as a sideline reporter, but more often than not, the bigger productions are going to have those be separate jobs. Um, and sideline reporter is, is explicitly just doing interviews and, really getting to know the players or whoever it is that you're talking to and telling their story. Right. That's something that also kind of recalls traditional sports to me, like, a, you know, courtside reporter and <laughs> exactly you know, yeah. in the middle of the game. And then you have like the TV hosts, like up top of a box or something like that. Um, right. So yeah, right. Hosting, presenting, it's, like I'm not sure if uh, people view that as interchangeable in your line of work because uh, again, kind of like mixing that with my TV and radio um, knowledge, it all just kind of gets mixed up to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but um, I'm curious because you also stream a lot on Twitch, mm-hmm. and in a sense. You also have an audience in Twitch the same way you would at an actual in-person event. Yeah. So I would like to hear from you how you kind of view the uh, the dynamics differently between hosting for a live audience uh, versus streaming on Twitch to, to a chat, to an audience. And um, I'm not really sure what kind of numbers you draw, um, if, that is an, if that's important at all to the dynamic. I think it was important to the dynamic. So actually only about, um, I would say, the beginning of April, I started to see the numbers that I'm currently seeing, which would be somewhere between 150 to 200 viewers at any given time, which is crazy because I never in a million years thought I was going to pull those kinds of numbers on Twitch. Um, Before that point of April, I basically only had an audience maybe of like 40 to 50 And the dynamic was very different. When I had a smaller audience, I felt like I could be a little bit more personal with them. So reading every single chat message or thanking every follower. And now 
with a chat of 150 to 200 people, <laughs> you you don't get a chance to do that. Uh, chat messages fly by and I actually miss stuff now because of how many messages are, are going on in the Twitch chat. And I'm also trying to multitask, playing the game that I wanna play. And I'm also trying to make sure that people are behaving. So there's a lot of stuff that you've gotta focus on when you're streaming to that level of audience. Something that I really appreciate about Twitch over maybe hosting for a live audience is that my Twitch is personal. My, my Twitch is where I get a chance to be myself and get to interact with the people that I want to be able to interact with and in-person events, but from the comfort of my own home and also, you know, playing an interesting title that we all have a passion for which is Pokemon right now. Mm -hmm. But it is very different to have more of that laid back style to streaming on Twitch versus the professional level that you need to have when you're live streaming to an audience on Pokemon.com or, or you know, twitch.tv slash Pokemon and you're streaming to like five to 10,000 people, right? <laughs> um, right. So it's, it's very, very different. Right. I, so when you're up on a stage with a microphone, you are, you are in a way representing a brand or an organization or, or something larger, I suppose. Yeah. You're when definitely you're doing it something larger than yourself versus mm -hmm. Twitch, which is so much more personal where it's just you and it's just how you interact with your community. Right. So do you feel like you get to kind of, uh, I don't know of a, a better term, but like kind of let loose a little bit uh, personality wise? Do you do you feel like you act differently towards those certain those audience members? No, I actually don't think I act that differently at all. Huh. Um, it, interestingly enough, I've always kind of had this like bubbly, outgoing and positive personality. <laughs> and I feel like that's something that I try to translate over to Twitch because I don't really feel like I'm one of those types of people that can put on a persona or, or fake it. Um, right. Right. I, I just doesn't, it doesn't feel natural to me. Like, you know, there are a lot of successful streamers that put on a facade or they put on a mask or they do something to make themselves into a character. And I'm like, I don't know. I kind of think I'm a character enough by myself. So I may as well just go with what I know best, which is just being myself. <laughs> mm hmm. How important do you think the name Necra is to that? I mean, if you're not you're not putting on a character, but that is Ooh. that is to my I mean, as far as I know, a, a an identity that you gave yourself, and you know, feel free to share whatever you whatever you're comfortable sharing in that line. Yeah, yeah. So Necra is my gamer tag, um, and I feel like everybody has a tag that they go by when you're in esports. You know, most people aren't going by, or or you're just going by your full name. Um, but I feel like a lot of people use their gamer tag as a part of their identity because there's something really special to being someone different on the internet. You know, like when I, when I play a first, you know, a, a first person shooter or something and I'm, I'm popping off, I'm like, yeah, that's Necra. That's Necra doing this. You know, it's really fun to be able to, to be <laughs> right. like, that's, yeah, that's my, that's my alter ego or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, and I actually got the tag because Wolves are one of my favorite animals. I studied them a lot when I was in school um, just because they are so fascinating and they have some incredible social skills. Um, right. And I decided that I was going to name myself after a wolf and I realized that's kind of basic. 
So I <laughs> looked at kind of different ways that I could say it in another language. And I found a random dialect of Indian where I dropped like an H and added a K and Necro was born. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, that's how I got my, my name. And it's stuck with me ever since. It's it's perfect. <laughs> you tell that story often to people. Um, uh, Not as often as I think I, I would like to, only because... I still feel like it was an angsty teenager talking, making that decision. <laughs> um, but, you know, it is part of my identity now, so i got to embrace it. Mm-hmm. I think everyone has a similar angsty teenager, like, why <laughs> my gamer tag is this sort of story. I mean, yeah. God knows I have my own. So, <laughs> <laughs> but, but speaking of names, I mean, the, the, dy- the, a, a different part of the dynamic that I just kind of realized was, in Twitch, you see people's names, whereas, say, at a live event, um, unless you're talking to someone like you're interviewing them, most of the people around you and a lot of the observers, they're, you know, their their part is to beat is to is to cheer or 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 something, but like they do it anonymously. They are not really a part of the conversation. Whereas Twitch, mm-hmm. um, I I mean, in in some sense, I mean, if you're responding to them, then they're I. I feel like they were totally a part of that conversation. Yeah. Um, Twitch, I feel like you can have more personal conversations with the people that you're streaming to. And it's something that I really love about the platform um, because a lot of the people that watch are people that I would really like to meet in person. Like, like, especially if they're, if they're longtime fans from watching the, the Pokemon streams or Overwatch streams or whatever else they've seen me from, I would love to meet them. I think that would be great. Um, in person though, it's, it is a little bit different because you don't have that tag that you can just put to their name. Um, and I actually argue that you're still fairly anonymous on Twitch too, where yes, you have your gamer tag, but like, I know nothing else about you from that. I don't know Mm -hmm. what you look like. I don't know where you're from. Um, so there's still like that level of anonymity that people get to have on Twitch. And... I think that does translate over to if you are in a live audience, like you were mentioning, you know, just like being there as a part of the crowd or being a competitor, um, maybe not appearing on the live stream or something like that. Going back to the idea of having an audience, uh, when you're streaming on Twitch, there's the, there's usually an assumption that people are in the know of what you're doing mm-hmm. when you're when you're playing Pokemon. People are probably hip with the meta uh same with the same with the um with the live crowds i mean if you're at that event you're probably fully invested in what's happening but then you get into cases where maybe something is being broadcast on the television network which is wild to say in the in these days i i guess for for video gaming as a medium yeah um i personally am someone who play who has played a lot of overwatch uh i've played pokemon since i was a kid but Mm -hmm. if i were to watch competitive overwatch i probably wouldn't be able to describe what's happening (laughs) i mean i I probably (laughs) could do like some level in that like oh i know who these heroes are and what they're what the what they're doing um part of it's kind of like a presentational thing to me where I'm so used to just being in that same first person perspective and then that went to see shifting perspectives or to see like an, an omniscient view of the field. That's mm-hmm. where it gets all kind of muddled to me. 
And then something with Pokemon where I'm a very casual player, you know, like mm-hmm. I know all these moves, I know type matchups, uh, so-and-so, but, you know, there, there are so many strategies that I didn't uh, ever consider. I don't know anything about IVs and EVs <laughs> or, or um, you know, RNG is a thing that I know about, but I don't really pay attention to. So I guess, how do you, how are you able to uh, um, accommodate people of different levels? Like, how do you, what is the type of cadence of vocabulary, I suppose, that you have to utilize to relay uh, what, what they're watching on screen? Because, you know, it's fairly obvious that this is a very different viewing experience from traditional sports. Um, yeah, I mean, how? how? <laughs> um, I think that's why we have lots of different commentators. So something that I've noticed, uh, even from like our Pokemon commentary team, is that you have people that are of all different skill levels um, and that are able to relay the game in a different way. For example, for myself, when I first got brought on, I was a person that was just all in on being a fan of the sport. I was so excited to just see like a Lunala on the field. And I, you know, got really <laughs> excited about seeing a Xerneas on the field. And then I realized what they both did together and I decided I hated it. But um and that was after a while. And I, at first, you know, I was just kind of I think I I was there to be the voice that your inner Pokey fan has. <laughs> but there are also people on the team that are such fantastic competitors. And they're the ones that you listen to because you want to hear that high-level gameplay. You want to hear about the stat rolls or the damage calculations or something like that. Um, So I think that one of the reasons why teams for all sorts of broadcasts have different commentators is just to cater to different styles of listening. Okay, right. Um, And yeah, I'm I'm so curious if that's a very deliberate thing or if that just kind of or if that just kind of happened, that's how things fell into place. I have um, no idea. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. Um, yeah, people of, like, different experience levels and, um, you know, veterans who might have played since Game Boy and people who maybe got <laughs> into it but through Pokemon Go or something like that. Um, it's that, that, is, that is sort of comforting to hear that uh, the people on that end are, are, are pretty diverse in that respect. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, the, the audience certainly is. Um, and when you have all these new, when you have so many different avenues to, to enter this world, um, again, using Pokemon as an example, like there are, there's the, there's the anime, there's the Pokemon Go, there are the mainline games mm-hmm. and to kind of have them all under one roof. I think that's, a that's a challenge, but that sounds like a really good solution <laughs> just by having those people who can kind of um, give their different perspectives on what is happening, I suppose. Yeah, I think so. I think it works out really well. Um, mm-hmm. This is also just my perception of how it is. Um, so, you know, don't take my word completely for it, okay. but this is also something that I've noticed on just like multiple other commentary teams. Mm-hmm. You said you tend to have all different levels of expertise on the game. Yeah. You know, that that might as well be the motto of this entire show. Yeah. <laughs> just from my perspective. But like that that is I think that's the really fascinating thing. I mean, just just hearing these experiences from 
from, you know, the boots on the ground, let's call them. <laughs> um, so when we're talking about all these different commentators who are involved, I wanted to hear from your perspective uh, about your view on the scope and the size of the world of esports, because there are just so many esports organizations. There are so many competitive games, and they're all cycling in and out. Um, you know, like v- Valorant is on the rise mm-hmm. now, and people are going to have to get ready for that. And there are annual and seasonal events, and obviously 2020 is a bit messed up. <laughs> <laughs> How do you kind of navigate all these different players, all these different parties, all these different games, and all these ever-changing things uh, as as a freelancer? It's really tough because a lot of my work is in person. And when the pandemic hit, um, unfortunately, I lost a lot of that work. Uh, You know, people are doing the responsible thing, which is making sure there aren't large gatherings in these spaces. And that just ultimately led to me losing out on a ton of work that I had lined up through May. And it's so weird that we're actually kind of talking about it still as things are happening, because... I don't know what the future looks like. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know when these events are coming back. We've seen a lot of announcements about, you know, DreamHack getting pushed back. And um, I am getting pushed back to the 2021 calendar year. So I've had to make do with doing a lot of things online. But I think that's something that's very promising is that online esports is very, very accessible. You don't have to travel somewhere in order to participate. You might have to pay a small entry fee online, but you still get a chance to compete and play. And it's it's almost as good as going to a LAN in order like the, 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 the level of competition that you're going to face there. Mm-hmm. Do you ever get overwhelmed just by how much esports there is out there? <laughs> Yeah, I do. Pandemic. <laughs> All the time. There's so many different esports. I mean, shoot, they had a farmer simulator esport competition at some point. Oh, and you, yeah. yeah, you look at that and you're like, okay, that's fantastic. How do I get in on that? But at the same time, you're also like, this is a lot of different esports. How do I keep up with everything? So I think that's something that's been really important to me is honing my focus so that I'm not looking at multiple different titles at a, at a given moment. I'm maybe only looking at two or three. Right, right. Um, and of course, you know, titles come and go. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> Farming Simulator, I think those are annual installments, uh, as far as I know. Um, so, you know, tra- tractor racing can be very different uh, year to year, mm-hmm. let's say. Absolutely. Uh, right, and and I think what I'm kind of getting into is a more practical, technical question, because when you have all these different esports, you have all these different organizations behind them, and they all operate yeah. differently. Um, you know, same way, like I guess with traditional sports, there's the NBA, the NFL, NHL, so and so. This is this is more like a a lesson for uh, an educational lesson for me. But how do you how do those organizations how do those events get those casters? Do they um, and you know I I it's it's getting kind of too deep into like how do these esports organizations operate in the first place and how they're structured because I'm not sure if 
the teams are owned by the league or mm-hmm. if they are owned by different owners that like a la traditional sports who is the one who kind of hires the hosts and the commentators and whatnot um and i guess what your relationship with say the team owners and the organizational i don't know the, the commissioners let's say i'm not really sure what the technical term is yeah so that's a great question and it's something that i can actually speak to quite well so mm. it really depends on the organization but i'll give you a little bit of insight into my org that i work for called Elahel esports um i'm actually the talent manager for them So I am the one that's in charge of finding new faces for the org, as well as new voices and putting them on different projects. Um, And something that I look for is people that are eager to learn because I do one-on-one VOD reviews with them. um, And also I put on workshops. So people that are eager to learn and people that are looking at broadcasting or being a commentator because they're passionate about it, not because they want to get famous or something like that. So that's just kind of like the learning level that I, that I'm at with a lot of my casters. Um, and, and that's kind of how we operate under the Elohel esports umbrella. Now that's not how every org operates. And as a freelancer, you can never really know whether or not it's going to be the organization reaching out to you or if you should reach out to the organization and just kind of shoot your shot and say, hey, <laughs> my name is Necra and I am an esports commentator and host. These are the titles that I cover. And if you guys have anything coming up in the future, then I would love to be in- interested or you know, considered for the, po- the project. Um, that's, there's no shame in doing that. That's a, actually how a lot of freelancers get jobs is by cold calling and just saying and you know introducing themselves and and showing off their highlight reel and showing them their resume and saying this is this is what I've got if if I'm good of good fit then you know get back to me um and I think that's how a lot of people go about it there's also kind of at the upper level where if you're in the upper echelon of talent then there's a lot of organizations that are reaching out to you that want you to be a part of their broadcast um and I feel like that's a lot rarer for a lot of people just because it takes a lot of time and a lot of skill to get up to that level where people are reaching out to you versus the other way around. Um, but that's kind of the, the the ways that I see it. You're either part of a production organization like Elohel Esports, you, or you are a freelancer that is either getting reached out to or is reaching out to orgs in order to get work. Right. And it sounds like you're kind of wearing both those hats. Yeah. I, I have both of those hats on right now. Mm-hmm. I have all the hats on right now. <laughs> <laughs> right. That almost kind of sounds like an agency to me. Does that, is that accurate at all to? Um, sort of. Hmm. Yeah, I would, I would say sort of. I think that's, that's kind of the direction um, that I think a lot of talent organizations are moving is that, you know, in, in agency, agency is nice because as a talent for an agency, you don't have to really worry too much about whether or not you're going to get work. Obviously, in order to be a part of the org or be a part of the agency, you need to be bringing in work yourself um, already. But it's, it's super, super helpful to have people behind you that are helping you with your paperwork and helping you get jobs and things like that. Totally. And with that in mind, I'm I am curious to hear about 
any friends or peers that you have or who are in this line of work. And I'm I'm wondering how they approach this career path and this entire field uh similarly or different differently than you. I mean, is this is like kind of the is there like a, is a common way to go with one of these organizations that you described? Uh, do people just kind of start off as freelancers and do some people kind of find that they vibe with that lifestyle a little more? Uh, it's hard because it's very hard to become a commentator where you're making a living off of being a commentator. There's a lot of people that are, you know, trying to claw their way up to the top and it doesn't always work out for everybody. And that's just kind of like the the fact or the reality of it all is that not everybody that's starting out at the amateur level is going to make it. I have this firm belief that everybody that wants to be a commentator can be a commentator. It just might take some people a little bit longer or you might get stuck at a specific level. But I think that anyone can develop the skill set to be a commentator. I firmly believe that. Uh, sorry, I, what I was going to add to that was, was, is that I don't think I actually answered your primary question, which is how other people in the industry actually go about it. Um, but I feel like everybody does approach it very differently. And like, I will have my own approach to it than like one of my peers will. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's no secret formula to, to success, it seems. And especially in such a ever-changing and volatile fields such as the esports <laughs> like who yeah who's, who's to say what is like the, the quote-unquote smart thing to do is <laughs> it. i i feel that a good jumping off point to commentating might be this it sounds like you kind of went straight for commentating and then also fell into twitch streaming is that accurate to say or is it kind I... of simultaneous <laughs> It was kind of simultaneous. Mm -hmm. um, for me, like I looked at streaming, I've always looked at streaming and I've always looked at commentating as more of a hobby. Um, I think that's something that's been really helpful to my own mindset in terms of, you know, being disappointed or, or, you know, not, you know, just like my mental health, I guess. Um, so I, I've always viewed it that way. Now, when I started streaming, it was when I started commentating and I only started streaming because I thought it was like the thing to do, especially as a commentator. You know, you you just stream when you're when you're in free time. And I dove full on headfirst into esports. And so I just thought, yeah, this is what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to stream. Right. Um, <laughs> and that's how it started. Right. Right. So I, I'm I'm curious if people can kind of start from streaming like maybe as a hobby and then whether they fall into it or they catch someone's attention if that leads to commentating like does that sound like a viable path to any people yeah so a lot of times there there are people that find their way into commentating because they are already a large internet personality on Twitch. And then people identify, oh, you'd also be a great commentator. So why not try your hand at that? And we've talked about Overwatch a little bit too. And another really viable path is being a pro player and then finding your way into the color commentary role because you are a, an expert, like a true expert of the game. Right. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of traditional sports commentators, they, probably 
were a player at some point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is this is kind of taking me back to say like the the G four TV days where there were you know <laughs> television shows like X Play and Attack the Show and um, you know they were they were presenters they were hosts who were um, you know whether they were experts or not is is debatable but um, they had some sort of authority and they were kind of trying to bring gaming into the mainstream by. Mm-hmm. You know, with, with you know having a television show about video games, that was sort of <laughs> unusual, let's say. And nowadays, like back in the days when I was able to go to a bar and I would look up at the TV, and Overwatch is on ESPN. Mm-hmm. Uh, very, very strange sight to me. And that is something certainly to celebrate, in my opinion. I think uh, what I wanted to ask you was, is that um, as esports are evolving and growing, is the, and I, I talk a lot about the concept of validation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like there is a lot of, I'm trying to think of a nice way to say this, but insecurity about video gaming being um, at best niche, at worst childish. Mm-hmm. And, seeing Overwatch on ESPN um, 10, 15 years after something like G4 or like Spike TV, and they would kind of do, you know, let's say sophomoric (laughs) childish stuff in their kind of quest to make gaming more mainstream. Um, Obviously, things are different today, but do you feel that still in the year 2020 that um, gaming needs to be taken seriously? It has to be validated by, you know by parents and grandparents and let's say the boomers <laughs> is that is that validation and specifically for esports um because there's going to be you know dads reading the newspaper and it's like what is this what is this <laughs> stuff in my olympics or something like that right. um is that something that is really necessary to push back on in your opinion i think that pushing back on it is important for the growth of esports in general. It's always healthy to have some sort of discourse because it points out areas that can use improvement. And I think that esports as it stands right now isn't perfect as much as we hope that it can be. And we know that it can be. It's not perfect yet. And I think also to speak to the other part of your question, it's important to have validation and it's particularly important to have validation from the boomers, as we call them, um, (laughs) because they are the generation that is the parents, the grandparents, the supporters of the young players that are entering this industry as professionals. And it's very important to have their support Because without their support, we don't have a healthy ecosystem for those players to go into. Otherwise, it is just pushback instead of there being this healthy discourse that could happen in order to make esports the the best place it it possibly can be. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And yeah, absolutely. Like esports, not perfect. I mean, I think there have been there have been some uh, business ventures that. 
I think were just straight up scams <laughs> or uh, mm-hmm. shady business practices from other organizations. I'm not even sure if they're around anymore, thankfully. But and, and you know that you have problems on the ground with with sexism, racism, homophobia, and whatnot, and it's it's hard to. And, you know, this isn't to say that, like, the NFL and other organizations don't have those problems. There are plenty of those problems there in traditional sports. But it's it's difficult to to point at anything and say, yeah, this is what video gaming is all about. Because they might carry all the good stuff about video gaming on a, mm-hmm. on a pure um, image perspective, but... You can't really get rid of the bad stuff too. You're kind of carrying everything. I feel um, so. I think it's good that esports and this is me editorializing now on my own show. Uh, this is uh, it, it's good that we're getting to that level that we kind of evolved from the G4 and the Spike TV and whatnot into hey, Overwatch is on TV right now. Yeah, but I think there's still a lot of way to go. There's a long way to go. Not that long, probably. I think we've made good strides, but there's still a way to go before I think we can comfortably, like, say, yeah, this is what I'm all about. Um, And, you know, to some extent, I am. I -hmm. would gladly talk to my family members about what I do for a living and, you know, how it involves video gaming, which is a thing that's totally alien to them. But I feel like I have to add some asterisks to that and be like, oh, by the (laughs) way, this is going on. I had to explain Gamergate to my parents <laughs> a while ago. Um, so, yeah, that that is definitely a a piece of that. That is definitely a um, larger discussion that uh, I'm very happy for for people to kind of continue mm-hmm. because it's an exciting time. <laughs> yeah, it's super exciting. Well, maybe not 2020 because of um, world events, but um, <laughs> before that and potentially after that, exciting time. Um, and going to a thing like for the women for uh, the FTW summit, um, I think is definitely a sign that there are organizations and individuals who are very for that bright future mm-hmm. of esports being being mainstream and um integrated like i don't know like is the olympics the next step because <laughs> i know that was a whole debate that was happening mm-hmm. so talking about the future i wanted to ask you um how do you, how do you personally want to see esports grow and evolve uh what is your dream what is your dream future of where esports is at i think my dream future is to see esports on mainstream television the whole channel maybe dedicated to showing off esports and i think that would be really validating i you know you mentioned seeing overwatch on the television and <laughs> there was a lot of pushback from the boomer generation on that one because <laughs> it's just not something that they expected to see on espn right, right. um and and i feel like the more that we normalize it, the more that gaming becomes a normalized part of our culture. And that would be my goal. That would be my hope is that we get esports on mainstream television one day. Mm-hmm. 
do you want to be on mainstream television? I mean, yeah, it's a part of a selfish <laughs> reason because I'd love to be on mainstream television. Don't get me wrong. Right. Um, <laughs> but I also think that is in a larger picture, there is just so much that can be gained from putting it on mainstream television in terms of really normalizing it for everybody. Right. Yeah. Um, it, it's interesting to watch ESPN and see the usual ESPN personalities try to describe things and <laughs> not really looking lost, but unsure how to convey that to their audience. I remember there was this one specific clip. Um, it was a clip from, I forget which year, but it was from Evo, the, the uh, fighting game tournament. Mm -hmm. And there was this moment where I think it was Street Fighter V, but someone thought they won and prematurely celebrated by getting up from their chair and raising their arms like, yeah, but it turns out that the other dude still had health left. <laughs> so, oh, no, right, I yeah. this clip. Yes, that was featured on ESPN, and you had, like, two, two dudes who um, looked kind of jockey, let's say, um, and you had, like, one trying to like give context to the other commentator in in like in kind of like stilted language and trying to describe like trying to set up why this is going to be a funny clip to watch mm -hmm. and that was a fascinating moment to me <laughs> just trying to watch the the gears turn in this man <laughs> trying to describe a video game on ESPN so in your future in your perfect vision of the future do you feel that um you know, the ESPNs, the NBCs, the Foxes and whatnot, do you think they'll try to take advantage of uh, the plethora of commentators that are already out there? Do you feel that um, this is all going to converge one day in, in an ideal world? I think it will. I mean, we already saw Golden Boy take some of the first steps for esports commentators where NBC Titan Games asked him to commentate with The Rock. Like what? Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> Wild, okay. right? So it's yeah. it's already merging. It's already happening. And that's a future that I see for esports is big stars, big celebrities working with our own pocket of celebrities to create content together. Mm -hmm. How cool is that? Yeah. Oh, very much so. I didn't even know that happened. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, whenever I think of broadcasting, my because I had an affinity for late night television when I was a kid and uh, to a lesser extent today, because I think it's mostly crap, <laughs> but um, you know, I used to be into, uh, you know, like Conan O'Brien and David Letterman and whatnot. And I used to kind of track the history and um, how it, um, how it evolved from say like, you know, Steve Allen and Johnny Carson. And they're like these very, charismatic figures in front of a microphone and they had like a certain amount of gravitas to them. And then now it's like Jimmy Fallon and James Corden. And it's very YouTube centric. And I think that's very um, demonstrative of the shift from, you know, from, from radio to YouTube, let's say, and how the cadence of broadcasting has kind of evolved. Uh -huh. um, and I'm not going to say that one's better than the other. Um, even with my qualms with specific <laughs> television hosts <laughs> out there. But I feel that since television is kind of moving in that direction and gaming kind of started 
there in in like in the digital format with with YouTube. Like YouTube has been around since I forget like the early two thousands at this point. YouTube's and Let's Plays and Twitch and Mixer and whatever the heck else there is out there that the people are making up. It just seems like a natural intersection to me at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, like Ninja is like on the Tonight Show or something like that. Right, <laughs> That's weird to me. <laughs> um, not that I want Ninja to be the ambassador of all video gaming. <laughs> But that is certainly a step. That is certainly a sign. Mm-hmm. Yeah, bright future, perhaps. We shall see post-pandemic, I suppose. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask you something off off the notes um, uh, to yeah. kind of wrap up our conversation. Because, again, I, I really appreciate how open you were with kind of sharing your uh, with the personal aspect of why gaming is so important mm-hmm. to you. So. I'm going to assume that the pandemic is still going to be a thing and that lockdown is still going to be a thing once this goes up. So I wanted to end things by asking you, and this is a broad question, so take it however you want to. Mm -hmm. How do you feel that gaming can be an overall positive influence on our current way of living? I feel that gaming can be a positive influence on the way that we are currently living because it just allows you to become part of a different universe. Maybe a universe where this doesn't exist, or maybe you're going to Fallout where this is the universe that exists. Um, you know, it you just get a chance to be whatever you want to be. And I think that having games and and having genres that are very story driven or very immersive can really help you bring bring you to a different place and especially mentally. You know, for me, video games ended up being such a bright light in my life, um, especially when I was incredibly depressed after the personal traumas that I went through. It really did allow me to have these moments where. I could forget and I could move on. And I think that especially for people that are feeling lost and feeling insecure about the current world as it is, I think that video games can be an incredibly dominant positive force in your life. Mm -hmm. And not only the games themselves, I mean, the Mm -hmm. you've, would you would you say that you've built a community by by streaming and by you know having familiar names in chat who are you know I assume regulars in your streams like you have kind of a, you've kind of built your own circle of yeah. wholesomeness let's say oh yeah absolutely I love seeing the same names pop up day after day it makes me feel like we really have developed something incredibly special for our community. Mm-hmm. And it it just makes streaming all that more worth it. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think that's something that's unique about games. I mean, I you know, sports commentators, they they might be able to develop a cult of personality of sorts, but because I see game commentators and streamers being a little more out there, I feel like that's uh I, I feel like gaming is more so an opportunity for direct interaction and for 
that sort of community building. And as a result, I think you're, I think gaming is creating something that's beyond the actual games, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so thank you so much for, for sharing that insight. I think that's a perfect note to end on. Um, so Necra, in uh, going with that, do you have anything you want to plug? Um, obviously, there's your social media, but also any any projects, any other names or organizations that you want to shout out while you have the platform? I guess I'll just say, first of all, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I had such a blast talking to you, and I really appreciate you bringing me on. Um, if people are interested in Pokemon content, then I do stream three nights a week to twitch.tv slash Um, It'll be mostly VGC content, so you can find me there. Um, otherwise, you can also find me on Twitter at the same handle, NecraGaming, um, and on YouTube and Instagram at Necra. Uh, and I don't know if I ever spelled that out. So that would be N-E-K-K-R-A, um, something that I've been working on on YouTube. And per- again, particularly if you're interested in the competitive Pokemon content is that I'm working on a series called Pokemon Spotlights, which basically I feature a singular competitive Pokemon and I talk about the ways that you can use it in battle. And I think that's it's been really fun to work on. And, and I hope you guys will enjoy that project. Awesome. Yeah. And uh by the time this comes out, I think um, Sword and Shield will have like its first expansion pack out, so the yeah. meta will certainly be different by then. <laughs> very, very different. <laughs> well, see how that goes. I, I will be looking out for um, how how that affects <laughs> the, the the commentary of the meta and whatnot. Oh um, yeah, awesome, awesome, awesome. Uh, I myself, uh, I am at Compenderizer on Twitter. Uh, other than that, we will talk to you next time and we'll keep the conversation going. Thanks again, Necra. Bye.